Welcome to the Well Woman Show, where we interview women executives, leaders, and entrepreneurs. And you're listening to the Well Woman Show, where motivated women achieve fulfillment and well-being. You're listening to the Well Woman Show. Take time for myself by coming to things like Well Woman Drinks. To be accepting of myself no matter what. Step away from judgment as much as possible. You're listening to the Well Women Show. Just, you're going to be in for a good ride. I don't regret anything. Everything I've ever done, I've learned from it, one way or another, good or bad. Being a little bit selfish for yourself, you know, put your own oxygen mask on first and then give what's left. I'm a woman. I would prefer to, to tell my own story. My story, though it's very personal, is universal. You're listening to the Well Woman Show. And now your host, Giovanna Rossi. Hi, Giovanna Rossi here, and welcome to another episode of The Well Woman Show, where I interview women leaders, executives, and entrepreneurs about their lives and their road to becoming and being who they are today. Are you at the top of your game professionally, but feeling burned out, or finding it hard to focus on your goals, or unfulfilled personally? Or are you in transition, simply juggling so many things, you find it hard to take care of your own needs? Well, you're not alone. We all need to activate the four universal superpowers. These are the internal strengths and abilities we all already have, but don't use all the time. Superpowers can be cultivated, and they include awareness, intuition, action, and acceptance. Toward the end of the show, in a segment called Superpowers for Success, I ask my guest about her superpowers, and the answers will give you the strength, perspective, and power to live a well-woman life. I'm so happy you're here, so thanks for tuning in. This episode of The Well Woman Show is brought to you by Collective Action Strategies, supporting organizations that support women and families, and by Well Woman Life Movement Challenge Quiz, your resource for living your best life. If you're in burnout or major transition, this is your time to figure out what's holding you back from making the changes you need to make in order to live your fullest, most joyful life. The cause of all of our challenges, personal or professional, can actually be rooted in the lack of internal superpowers and or external supports. Our Well Woman Life Framework tells you which stage of the Well Woman Life Cycle you're in and what to do about it so you can truly live your best life. You can find out more at wellwomanlife.com slash quiz. I'm so thankful for support from Natural Awakenings Magazine in New Mexico, a monthly green healthy lifestyle publication, and for support from High Desert Yoga, promoting optimum physical health, clarity of mind, and spiritual inspiration for all. Hello, hello, well women. So today, the topic is how to say no, so you can say yes, one of my favorite topics of all time. Um, And actually, uh, on the show today, we talk about a lot of different things as usual. But this uh, particular theme really jumped out because we went into um, some detail about it. And um, I love to talk about saying no. So For those of you who struggle with boundaries and saying no, or just need a refresher, this is going to be a great episode for you. And um, one little tip right up front I'm going to give you is when I say no, I try to say, um, thank you for thinking of me for this. I am going to need some time to think it over and I'll get back with you. What's your deadline? And that's a great way to give yourself some space rather than that scenario that we've all been in where we're thinking to ourselves, oh God, no, I can't do another thing. And yet the words, yes, I'd love to come out of your mouth. So to avoid that, um, definitely want to create some space for yourself to process and respond um, thoughtfully to whatever the person is asking you to do. And that includes your kids, by the way. Um, It it can be used for family, for work situations, um, really anything. So uh, this is going to be a great episode. My guest today is um, Samantha Michelle, and she is a very interesting uh, woman who is living in New York right now, but is um, originally from Canada and just has an extensive background, and she's still quite young. And um, 
She's done a load of different things, including studying at Oxford, where I went to high school. So that was a fun little connection. Um, She's actually a DJ and an actor. And um, so we talk a lot about that on the show. And um, you'll even hear me tell my story about being a DJ myself (laughs) back in the day. So uh, stay tuned for a great interview with Samantha Michelle. I'm speaking with Samantha Michelle. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's very nice to be on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you. We don't often get to chit chat with um, DJs. Usually I I interview a lot of women entrepreneurs and leaders. And so this is going to be a nice mix, mix it up a little here. Um, And so Samantha, what are you up to in the world? I did a little intro already. So people know your kind of bio, but what are you what are you doing? What are you putting out into the world right now? Well, lots of different things, I suppose, is the answer. Um, I sort of divide my creative work under three categories just to keep myself from um, going completely insane. Uh, The first category is, you know, spreading my love of soul music and rock and roll and good times and good vibes. And so I'm doing lots of DJing and I feel really lucky that um, I've been able to partner up with, you know, um, publications and charitable organizations and work with clients who I um, find myself very sort of soulfully aligned with. Um, Tonight, I'm DJing for Galore Magazine for their New York Fashion Week party. And I think that they're quite a cool publication and they're all about supporting badass women. And I'm absolutely into that. Um, And then this weekend, I go to Toronto and I'm DJing for Artists for Peace and Justice for their Toronto Film Festival Gala. Um, And they basically support education and well-being for youth in Haiti. Um, so they're a phenomenal organization to be working with. Uh, then when I come back to New York, I do some more DJing for the Morrison Hotel Gallery. And they're like an iconic rock and roll photography gallery. They were probably my first ever favorite art gallery that I fell in love with when I was a teenager. Um, and, and the work that they present is really, really cool and really interesting. And um, Marcel, who's the gallery director, is just completely brilliant. And she curates the show so fantastically. So I just feel very lucky to um, be able to work with clients that I just completely back and get behind. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's pretty cool. So that's what's happening in the world of DJing. Um, Then I'm also a filmmaker and I'm inching into production on a new short called In the Campfire Light, which is, I say it's inspired by Springsteen's Ghost of Tom Joad album, but when, you know, you read the script, the inspiration material doesn't, it's not really at the forefront. Um, It tells the story of a dejected ballerina dancer um, who kind of finds herself in this acting class in New York, and, and she encounters this acting teacher who's almost like a, a guru-esque character and he's incredibly intelligent and incredibly charismatic and he's schooling his students not only on how to become you know the most dynamic and interesting actors but also um you know how to become truthful honest and engaged uh living human beings and she sort of falls under his spell a little and and it, and it explores you know psychosexual power dynamics and um you know the susceptibility of our dreams to the exploitation of bad people for lack of a better term i think it 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 treats a lot of issues that are quite culturally relevant at the moment in in a way that very much embraces the gray which is what i'm interested in as a filmmaker i think you know often we abstract things into this is wrong and this is right and we and in that process of abstraction we kind of lose sight of of what you know what lies at the foundation that gave rise to the conflict and that foundation is a rich tapestry of highly complicated themes and ideas Mm. and then I also act in things Um, I love to act I think it's really fun when you're given a great rich exciting character to get to go on that journey Um, I worked on a film in Canada in June and yeah, we'll see what's what's happening next on that front. So that's that's oh my, my world at the moment. <laughs> okay, that's a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, I realized I was like, oh, Samantha, you've been talking for a while. <laughs> a while. 
No, no, no. It's just, it's a, that's a lot. You're involved in a lot of different things in those three areas. And you, um, you live in New York. We were talking before we started recording. You live in Greenwich Village. Um, how, Samantha, did you, like, how did you start doing all of this? Because aren't you still in your early 20s? Well, I'm 28 now. Oh, 28, but, okay. Um, so I've been sort of doing this all now for, I guess, close to seven years mm-hmm. um, since I graduated from university, really. And I don't know, I, you know, I think as a kid, I, I didn't really have any sense of clarity as to what I wanted to, like, be when I grew up. Um, I danced competitively and I loved dance. And I think part of me always kind of got off on the adrenaline of performance. Um, but then I, I also really liked writing and I was always very interested in expressing myself in different ways. Um, but yeah, I had no idea really what I wanted to do. And, and when I moved to New York at 17 to go to NYU, it was kind of like everything was just fair game. And I was taking lots of different classes and studying lots of different things and running around too many nightclubs. (laughs) And, um, and then when I was at Oxford, I had this kind of amazing experience because by that point I'd kind of whittled it down to like another sort of three options. I tend to work in threes in my life. Um, and I was like, well, either I'm going to go to graduate school and I'm going to carry on with this whole reading and writing thing, or I'm going to work in like events or PR or charity or something. Because at the time I was producing this um, couture charity gala bowl thing um, for Help Malawi, which is a really cool organization that um, benefits children in Malawi. And I was really enjoying my work with that. And then I was also acting in these plays. And so every day was kind of split between academia, events, and theater. And um, not knowing anything about how difficult any of those industries or professions might be, <laughs> I was just kind of like, well, acting seems to be like the thing I'm enjoying most. So maybe we'll try that. Mm-hmm. Again, knowing nobody in the entertainment business, having no idea that the entertainment business was particularly competitive, um, I just kind of hopped in and hoped for the best, really. Mm. Okay. And so you didn't pursue a graduate degree. Is that correct? I did not. No. And do I you think not. you might still do that? Every once in a while, I think about it. Um, I would love to, I think. But because of what I ended up doing at NYU, I sort of built my own major within the College of Arts and Science. And so I spent like my senior year doing independent study and working on this thesis that explores um, the role of religion in the rhetoric of U.S. foreign policy. Um, and I worked really closely with this amazing professor who's like single-handedly responsible for changing my life. Um, she's passed now, which is pretty heartbreaking, but she she's called Marilyn Young, and she was a hero of mine. Um, mm. And so I, I sort of had the opportunity to do that kind of work at an undergraduate level. Um, however... I think going to graduate school would be pretty amazing. I would love to do like creative writing or I don't know. We'll see one day at a time. Well, I thought that was interesting that you, you explored the role of religion in the rhetoric of foreign policy. What did you, what was your thesis or what did you, what was your main idea there? Um, so my thesis was called playing the part of Prometheus, America's assumption of divine duty. And basically what I did uh, is I bought this book that had, you know, a hundred of the most important speeches in American history, like something quite simple. And I took a highlighter and I just went through every speech. And every time I encountered, you know, um, rhetorical terms and Judeo-Christian ideology, like manifest destiny, city on a, onto a hill, light onto other nations, you know, uh, acting as God's mortal hand on earth, I just kind of highlighted it and put a post-it on it. Um, and then I sort of mapped out a pattern of these ideological constructs and looked at how they fit within what was happening um, in terms of foreign poli- in terms of foreign policy at the time, um, beginning with westward expansion all the way through to um, Obama's regime, mm-hmm. um, and just looked at these sorts of patterns and how various foreign political endeavors were contextualized and presented to the American public in, you know, fundamentally religious terminology um, and what that tells us about the psychology of, you know, America's uh, national identity and self-perception, if it could be said to even have such a thing. Mm. But, Uh, you know, remember I wrote this uh, 
10 years ago now, no, well, eight years ago. And I think the country, I mean, I think the country's always been a series of states, but I think in the last eight years, the individual nature of the various states and political camps in the country have, you know, the, the gaps between that all have only broadened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what about the last two years? <laughs> I mean, it's an interesting time. It's a very interesting time. For, you know, I think, obviously, there's a lot of um, disgruntledness in the air, quite reasonably. I think um, I think it's a cool time because I think people are becoming, are, are, be- are really getting in touch with their political identities um, and are very... Uh, keen to take action mm. and and that's that's really positive and yeah. sometimes things have to not go our way in order for that to happen you know yeah. what I'm saying yeah yeah totally I mean that's really the only way I can look at it and and to make any sense of it you know mm. <laughs> because yeah uh otherwise it's just too depressing but yeah I mean I think that there there we are being provided an opportunity to take to take things in a in a different direction and to, to act differently. Yeah, and, and I think people are stepping up, and we're seeing that in women running for office. Um, uh, you know, in such huge numbers this election cycle. Mm. I think it's a really exciting time for women. Um, I think it's probably never been so cool in the history of. Well, I don't want to say the history of the human race because I'm certainly no expert on that. But like in, in the history of a long time, I think it's a really, really cool and really exciting time um, to be female. And we're half the population. So it's, you know, it's going to be one hell of a party. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so why is it such an exciting time to be female? Um, well, I just think, you know, there's a lot of... Uh, opportunity to engage in uh, discourse without censorship or restriction. I think a lot of that is facilitated by, you know, obviously the internet and social media. um, And that has, you know, its own whole host of unideal byproducts. But I think one of the positive things about this new technology is that, you know, everybody has a microphone and everybody is free to share and to engage with each other regardless of where they are. I think people are forming digital communities and obviously there's great um strength in numbers and um you know i think obviously living in greenwich village i'm exceptionally privileged to live you know amongst like-minded folks generally speaking um but i think you know there's a lot of people who don't have that same sort of privilege and and perhaps within their immediate surroundings they're not seeing um you know models of of women that they would aspire to be like, or they're not connecting with the people who share their same uh, philosophical or political perspective, but they can hop on Facebook or hop on Google and they can find resources and communities to feel less alone in whatever their ideology might be. And I think that that's quite cool. I think, you know, in terms of if we look at Hollywood, um, you know, which is something that I'm obviously interested and invested in um you know with the casting coach exploitation, which is what my first film the dark side of the sun is all about and i made that film you know two years ago like explicitly with the intention to kind of pull back the curtain and and expose casting coach exploitation in hollywood and so it's particularly thrilling to see that that's all really come to a light and people are starting to have conversations about what's been going on since you know the beginning of the industry and mm-hmm. certainly in, in a number of other industries. And I think that that's creating, you know, a culture of uh, carefulness and carefulness is fundamentally a good thing. And I think, you know, what's happening as a result is that women are, are exploring different because all of this is gray and complicated. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like not to say that somebody who is the victim of, <clears throat> sexual exploitation in some way shape or form has in any way brought that upon themselves but sometimes in some cases they potentially have or it's been encouraged and it's all it's all this kind of thin line that's weaving back and forth and obviously there are plenty of instances where it is not a thin line but there are plenty of instances where it is and I think what's happened is is because of 
you know, the parameters and the practices that have been in place then that are so deeply entrenched. I think women have felt pressured to rely on their charm or their beauty or their sensuality or their sexuality um, in order to advance themselves. And now because that isn't, you know, an accepted approved currency any longer, I think that's forcing women to, you know, forget about the men and whatever's going on with them for a minute. I think it's, it's forcing women to look inwardly and go, all right, well, what, what's important that I put out into the world? You know, if I'm, I don't know, going to a dinner party tonight, like, okay, cool. What am I going to wear? How am I going to do my hair? What shade of lipstick? Fine. But also what am I going to say? What am I going to talk about? Yeah. What's my opinion going to be on the subject at hand? You know, these weren't questions that were part of a woman's preparation for a social gathering and, the 50s and 60s and to a certain extent even six months ago yeah right yeah exactly yeah and I think that that's really cool yeah I mean we're definitely seeing more uh, a clear a clear movement you know for women to step into their power and use their voice and um and I think that we're at a very interesting point where women need a lot of support to to really be that and do that a hundred percent hundred percent. I think certainly in my work and in, in everything that I do, I really try and make a conscientious effort to reach out to other women and connect with other women. Like just last night I met with this um, DJ who I stumbled across on Instagram and I'd never met her. I just wrote to her on her website and said, hi, I'm Samantha. I'm a 60s and 70s soul DJ. I moved to New York a couple months ago. Like looks like you're doing, you know, phenomenal work and you're, and you're working with some really amazing people. Like, I'd really love to just, you know, pick your brain and ask for your advice. And, and we met yesterday and she was lovely and awesome. And, you know, I hope we get to hang out again. Maybe at some point down the road, there'll be an opportunity for us to collaborate in some creative way. Maybe there won't be. But I just think that that, you know, it's interactions like that that are really um, important. Yeah, totally. And the idea of, of having a mentor, too, that you brought up earlier and, and uh you said your mentor in college had passed away, but do you do you rely on other mentors in your life, other women? Um, do I have? I think I could probably use another mentor or two, to be honest. But I think there's a lot of people in my life that I do rely on, both men and women. Um, I'm exceptionally close to my dad. He's my best friend. And I absolutely rely on him in everything that I do. Um, my mom is also an amazing, like, incredible force of a woman and she's exceptionally inspiring and exceptionally helpful and she always knows the right thing to do and I think I'd be quite lost without her as well um I've got you know the most amazing network of very very close friends who I've known for a long time um and and those are the people that I turn to when I'm a little lost and a little confused and a little stuck what to do and I think because I've lived away from home for 10 years, my friends have really become um, my family. Mm. And I think I I would be absolutely nothing if it weren't for the people in my life, that's for sure. Yeah, it's so interesting. I speak with hundreds of women leaders and entrepreneurs, and and the common thread that always ends up coming up is is the need for a network of women and us of support and and mentorship. So... Um, 100% yeah. community is everything like you know people always say like if you work really hard you can make your dreams come true but I think that's wrong I think if you if you give and if you contribute and if you forge connections that's when your dreams will come true and hard work is absolutely important but you know and everything that I've ever hoped for in my life that's happened from plays that I've wanted to make to films that I've wanted to make to you know, opportunities I've wanted to have, um, that's only ever been possible because of the kindness and generosity of the people in my life. Absolutely. Without question, there's nothing I've done on my own. Well, and you have to be in a place where you can accept that, right? Mm, exactly. And, and really be open to, to people influencing you and helping you and mentoring you. Yeah. There's this, um, you know, Walt Whitman, poem that is you know probably one of the most quoted poems ever um and not butcher it hold on then mm-hmm. um dead poet society yeah oh me oh life like this is definitely the most obvious poem of probably american poetry and 
in the, and I am no poem expert, but like it's just something that I sort of revisited recently that kind of reverberates in my mind like day after day. And you know, the poem's amazing. It's this little short thing, you know, where he talks about how difficult and fundamentally challenging life is by its own definition. And then he kind of goes, well, what's the point of it all? And, and he sort of poses a question and offers the answer. And, you know, it says that you are here, that life exists, an identity, that the powerful play, that the powerful play goes on and you may contribute a verse. And mm. I think that those last few words there are, um, yeah, it's like it, it's what sort of sticks through my mind day in and day out, like that idea of contributing. You know, I think as ambitious people, certainly as creative ambitious people, you know, where our hearts are so involved in everything that we take on professionally, um, you can get kind of caught up in in pursuing everything that you're pursuing, whether it's, you know, uh, finding more gigs or making more films or making more money or, or, or gaining more followers or whatever it is that you're working on. Um, and, and your energy can be quite like take oriented for lack of a better term. Like, what am I what am I getting out of today? What am I getting out of this meeting? What am I getting out of this interaction? What am I getting out of this job, this encounter, this experience? And, mm. and I think actually like the point is quite the opposite. And when you live your life in such a way where you think, okay, what do I contribute to every interaction, phone call, experience, opportunity? What can I give, albeit, you know, possibly tiny? You're, you live a much happier <laughs> day-to-day experience well yeah and and uh not only just sort of get through the day-to-day experience but really start living your dream exactly yeah exactly yeah i love that so um samantha talk a little bit about your 60s and 70s soul dj experience and and what what that's all about um, well, I love the music from the 60s and 70s. I think that there's just something about, I don't know, that time period, what was happening socially and politically, um, and, you know, the way in which blues music was reinterpreted in England and America, and, and um, that is just kind of completely magical. And uh, it's my favorite music to play. It's my favorite music to dance to. It's what, you know, I think gets in the blood and in the bones and makes a sort of magic happen. Um, and so that's kind of become my specialty um, as a DJ and what I like to play. And, and you know, I've been doing this for quite a few years, so I quite like to keep things interesting and diverse. And I like to sort of skip between different genres and move into a bit of early blues and kind of move a little later into some... Um, disco and some 80s stuff and maybe even a little 90s hip-hop occasionally um, but I don't know I think the music from the 60s and 70s just makes you feel kind of amazing I mean it's it's the birth of rock and roll as we understand it mm. and how do you incorporate or do you incorporate your feminism or uh, you know sort of critique of the world in in your DJing um, I think I definitely do. I like to sort of champion um, female artists and I like to play a lot of, you know, kind of lesser known female artists or sometimes incredibly rare female artists. Like there's a girl called Little Denise who did, you know, two singles in like the early 60s when she was 14 and 15 and she's amazing. Uh, Sugar Pie DeSanto, complete legend, but, you know, people who aren't necessarily big soul music fans maybe have never heard of her. Um, I like to play, um, call, like, call-and-response songs, like, um, you know, Annie Williams' version of I'm a Man, Patty Drew's version of Hard to Handle, where, you know, these artists are kind of shimmying the lyrics a little to present the subject matter from a female perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, in the canon of soul music, there's a lot of examples of that, where they just sort of go, you know, instead of I'm a, I'm a man on the street, it's I'm a girl on the street, and and kind of reclaiming their own feminist right to the song. So I, I you know, I really like to play, um, to play those sorts of records. Um, I love to play uh, covers by females of songs popularized by men. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and I like to play artists that people have never heard of, you know, or certain maybe haven't heard of in, in the kinds of environments that I'm playing in. Like, 
you know, Thelma Houston and Mary Clayton. And, you know, these names might be obvious to some, but they're certainly not, you know, Aretha Franklin and Netta James, who are obviously the goddesses of it all. But I think it's sort of nice to, to, to make clear that there's a huge, huge, huge canon of incredible incredible vocal powerhouse, mm. female vocal powerhouses. Um, and so appreciated. Yeah. And so when did you break into like bigger gigs and being paid and flown, you know, around the world to do DJ gigs? Like how did that happen? If, if there are folks listening out there who are like, well, I, you know, I like to, to DJ too. How, how could I, do that was it like one thing that led to a bigger uh opportunity or was it just did it build how did that happen do you know what it's like anything that I've experienced creatively it's like it's like the ocean one minute the wave seems you know seems thunderous and like it's rushing and something big's happening and then the next thing you know it's a bit calm and then another wave <laughs> comes like you know, my DJ, my adventures with DJ started as a happy accident. And then I was kind of engaged in like, you know, the grind of it, like doing gigs for free and, and playing back to back with friends who were teaching me how to use equipment and helping me figure out what my sound might sound like. Um, and then, you know, just plugging along, trying to do gigs for however much money I could find like here and there. And then, I sort of took a break for a bit and was working in, on um, a play and somebody who I'd met years earlier, who I guess I'd once mentioned to that I did some DJing was like, Hey, could you do some DJing for this event for me? And I was kind of like, well, no, I've sort of decided to take a break from that. And he was like, well, I'll fly you here and pay mm. you pretty nicely. And I was like, okay. <laughs> um, and then, you know, the guys who had organized his event, um, really liked what I did and they were like uh could you do that for us tomorrow and I was like well yeah if you pay me what he did and um and then you know at the time I just read in the dark side of the sun and I was very keen to make it and to make it straight away and I knew I needed a little bit of money in order to do that and so I'd sort of made the money that I needed to make this film over the course of these two DJ gigs and I was like okay like maybe I should do some more of this DJing thing and then you know, it was back into the grind of it all and, mm. and working three, four times a week for not necessarily big bucks. And, and then a big opportunity comes up that takes you somewhere and, and you think it's all happening. And then, you know, you go back to working three or four times a week for not a whole lot of money. <laughs> like, I think, you know, I think that's the thing. I think, I, you know, I'm not a superstar by any stretch of the imagination, but my experience of creative success is that it's not when the ball starts rolling, it rolls. It's like when the ball starts rolling, it rolls for a bit, then it stops, but it will roll again. Right. It's kind of the narrative. You know, it's not uh, as soon as it starts building, it just builds and builds and builds, and it seems to build forever, and the next thing you know, you're on top of the world. Like, you climb for a bit, and then maybe, you you know, it's like five steps forward, four steps back, right. six steps forward, three steps back, one step forward, two steps back, you know, and all you can do is just, like, keep trying to climb right yeah. what else are you gonna do well that's so and interesting. not get discouraged you know yeah yeah keep going and not get discouraged um that's a big one that we could do a whole show on that but um I wanted to just call out something that I hear in what you're talking about and I know is definitely something that I talk a lot about with the well woman community which is setting boundaries and um, knowing where your own boundaries are because it sounds like a couple of those big opportunities came when you had set a boundary for yourself like no I'm not going to do that anymore I'm taking a break and then lo and behold, he was like, well, I'll fly you there and pay you. And then, you know, that created that opportunity. <clears throat> mm. And then, and then again with the next one, like, well, he wants, you know, someone else wanted you to do it the next day. And you were like, okay, uh, if you pay me the same. So setting those boundaries. Yeah. I think one of the big mistakes that I've made in my six or seven year career across the board is saying yes to too much. Yeah. I think one of the things that I'm only learning now at 28, and I wish I would have known this before, um, and I, you know, a very dear friend of mine, I think it's been an integral part of teaching me all this. It's like, no is a very, very, very powerful word. And, you know, you have to be prepared to lose. And you have to, you know, know that that's okay to lose. 
to just go, I'm not going to do that. Maybe I'm missing out. Maybe I should have done that. I don't know what else I'm going to do on that day. I might be sitting at home watching Netflix. But, like, I'm prepared to take that kind of gamble in life. Um, yeah. I think I think for years I was so afraid, afraid of missing out on opportunities and making the wrong decision or pissing somebody off or being too big for my little boots or whatever that I just kind of I took a lot of stuff that I shouldn't have taken in every in every sense of how that phrase could be interpreted and mm. I just did things that I shouldn't have done and agreed to things that weren't right for me and made sacrifices I didn't need to make um and I think honestly only now am I going do you know what no and and it still feels new and weird like just the other day like Somebody calls me and asks me to step in and fill in and do this, you know, this part in this play. And I'm kind of like, well, I'm sort of free, but I kind of have other stuff on. And I'm not really sure that this is all that creatively interesting to me. And then the whole thing was handled a bit weirdly. And then they called me again, like saying, hey, could you come and do this? And I just went, do you know what? No. As much as I'd love to, like, help you out. And I love being on stage and I love doing plays. and I love theater and it'd be great fun to do a play in New York, like, Nothing about this is right. Mm. Nothing about this is right. And yeah. I don't want to be in a situation where I have to get on the stage and be part of something I don't believe in. Like, I've done that before. Yeah. And it was, you know, a big, big, big mistake. Well, and that, yeah, that requires a, a level of awareness and intuition and really knowing, knowing when to say no. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think, again, it's difficult because it's a balance because, you know, on the one hand, you kind of, when you're starting out at something, you sort of have to do everything and take everything just to learn and get yourself to a place where you're confident. But I think, I mean, I think that's what it is. I think there's lots of things that I wouldn't, you know, I'm in, I'm in different places in my different careers. I'm like, as a filmmaker, things that are as embryotic as can be. I've made it like a handful of small films. I don't know what I'm doing. So I'm going to like be in my little boots and I will go and like gratefully accept the opportunity to shadow anybody because I have so much to learn. I didn't go to filmmaking school. But as an actor, you know, I've trained in half a dozen different conservatory programs around the world and like, you know, started a number of plays. And I'm not in a place where I'm gonna you know commit to being part of something where I just don't think the writing's very good and I don't think I'm gonna learn or challenge myself you know you know what I mean so I just think I think it's good to just have a good sense of where you're at not in terms of ego or claim or even your bank account but just where you're at in terms of your ability to do whatever it is you're trying to do and if you think you've got you know a what a way to go in terms of learning then just say yes as frequently as you can but if you feel like you're in a place where you can confidently do the job, because in every job there's always more to learn, then just trust your instincts and know where your boundaries are. Because mm. so long as you keep moving, if you're not doing, if you say no to an opportunity, like on that day, you'll be somewhere else and that, that will be where you're meant to be. Yeah. And you'll yeah. be grateful that you're not stuck in whatever you shouldn't have said yes to. Yeah. Right. Yeah, no, that's good. Um, So, Samantha, I'm going to move us on to the final segment here called Superpowers for Success and ask you a few quick questions um, that really allow the audience to get to know you and learn from you, although we've already been doing that. But but before we do that, I just want to share that this, this whole conversation has just brought up a memory of mine that I really haven't thought about in a while that I want to share, which is so funny to me, which is that... I um, started doing DJing for our local radio station here. And years ago, it was my like outlet for creativity and fun because I had a, a very serious like policy job in, in politics and everything. And I started doing like DJing on this radio show for women, women's issues. And so I would play a bunch of like women artists and stuff and it was so much fun and the station like the news manager was like we want you to do a segment you know like a policy segment because you're a policy person and I was like no I'm not going to do it I don't want to do that I want to DJ and so um, so I continued doing that for a while and then 
finally I gave in and they, and I started doing like a segment on, on, you know, more to do with my, my work. And then that actually turned into, um, this radio show, this, this, and this podcast. So it's kind of, I love it. It all started with music. That's amazing. I know. It's really funny to think, to think back to that. Um, so, all right. Music is the heartbeat of all good things. I know it really is. It really is. So I love that. I love that connection. And I have, I don't think I've ever shared that actually on my, on my show. So that's a little That's tidbit. amazing. I love that. <laughs> yeah. So crazy how one thing just leads to you to another that leads you to another. It's like following the breadcrumbs of life, isn't it? Well, yeah, exactly. And I mean, I'm, I'm quite a bit older than you. So you still have all of those breadcrumbs to follow and, and you have so much more to do in your life. But you know, when people ask me, like, how did you end up doing what you're doing? And you know, it's like, there's never a straight story. It's like mm. the, the, the line is so curvy. And you know, like, there's never a straight like, you should do this because it will lead to this. Like, no, just do like, you know, I, I don't want to sound like uh, ju- just very um, <clears throat> flippant about it. But you know, follow your authentic true self and like you said what can you contribute like how can you serve and that will lead you to the path 100% 100% yeah so okay so let's wrap it up with our little segment on superpowers um what does success in life mean for you oh it's a good question smiling as much as possible every day seven days a week and in my sleep. All right. Okay. And when did you know you were really good at what you do? I still don't know if I'm really good at what I do. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I'm just going with it and trying to get better. Nice. Okay. And then describe a personal habit that contributes to your own well-being. I write in my journal every morning. I've done it every single day since I was 22. It's the best thing I ever did. I've never reread a single entry. Like I couldn't, it, I do it when I'm half asleep. It's like brushing my teeth. I don't even notice that I'm doing it anymore. Mm-hmm. But it's like giving your mind like a shower, scrubbing off all the dirt from yesterday and making yourself all nice and clean and fresh for today. And okay. I, yeah, I can't recommend it enough. Do you do it at night or in the morning? First thing in the morning. Yeah. Nice. First thing in the morning. Did you happen to read um, The Artist's Way? I haven't, but somebody's told me about it, and that's what originally got me onto this idea. But then yeah. I'm not very good at doing things that like people write about in books because I feel like it's not my idea. So I was like, I'm not going to read the book. I'm just going to build my own little version of this. Yeah. And for the last six years, I you know I have a series of moleskin notebooks because I'm, it has to be a moleskin. It's only ever been a moleskin, um, literally for six years. So if I don't have any moleskin paper, I'll rip one out of an old one and write it on the back. <laughs> and every day I write, like I have to fill one full rules page if I got more on my mind it can go over but it's like I just look to fill the page so I never really know it's not like I write a sentence and then I'm done there's like a set there's a set kind of space to it yeah yeah. Um, and again I've never reread an entry I don't have any intentions to it's not about like chronicling where I'm at for some kind of internal preservation it's just a way of exercising like all the things that I running around in my head that aren't really going to be a value to me for that day mm. and the way of revving myself up for whatever is going to happen that day mm, and yeah. cultivating a relationship with myself that's quite fun you know me and me have a great time well yeah I mean when you do that kind of journaling every day it really allows you to connect with yourself instead of disconnecting and living unconsciously for sure for sure so I interviewed Julia Cameron, who wrote The Artist's Way. And so for listeners, cool. yeah, if, if listeners or if you, Samantha, are interested in that interview, go back through. It, it's an early episode. I'll have to put the link in the show notes since we talked about it here. I'll put the link in. And she walks you through her. She has like, you know, I, I mean, there's a lot in that book, but she has like three things that you can do. And they're really awesome exercises one of them is journaling every day um okay so let me wrap this up here what superpower did you discover you had only to realize it was there all the time oh that's a really 
interesting question. Wow, that's a really interesting question. Um, I think... I think I'm... I'm good at, like, it's sort of difficult to put into words, but, like, I'm good at building an energy, and I think that's what DJing is really about. You know, forget music taste, forget the technicalities of it, and I think that's what, you know, being a filmmaker is about, and I think in a more intimate kind of way, that's what being an actor is about, is, is creating this energy between, you know, yourself and the people around you and, 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 and building something that's spirited and... Um, you know, oriented around community. And I think I've only realized lately that that's maybe something I've done, like, my whole life, you know. Like, I was at this sort of detox center in Austria with my dad in um, in June, and he was there for a couple of days before me, and I was DJing in France, and he was sort of writing to me, being like, it's so boring, nobody talks to anybody, I can't wait for you to get here, like, sending me a bazillion emails a day. And I was like, don't worry, Dad, I'll be there tomorrow, we're going to have a great time and drink all the tea that we can and whatever <laughs> and I got there and I you know I saw exactly what he meant because nobody was talking to each other everybody was just sitting in their robe reading their magazines and drinking their tea but by the end of you know the second day like we we had a group of friends and we'd all have our broth together in the evening and we went on an outing to this like little village during the day and we'd all you know sit in the sun at four o'clock in the afternoon together and and, one, you know, one of the nicest things that my dad said to me, he was so cute. He sent me this, like, funny little card in, you know, in German with a pig. I don't speak any German. but And then sort of wrote inside because he, he stayed for a few days after I left because I had to come back to New York for work. And, and he was like, I really miss you. And, like, this place misses you. There's a, there's a different – the energy here is different without you. Mm. And I was like, that's maybe one of the nicest things you've ever said to me, Dad. And then it sort of made me realize that maybe that's sort of one of – the common threads running through what I'm involved with creatively is that I, and then maybe this really also ties back to this whole, you may contribute a birth thing, like, which is mm. kind of reverberating around my mind at the moment. And maybe I'm just figuring this all out as I'm answering this difficult question of yours. <laughs> but I think, um, you know, I think, I think building that kind of energy around me and then what, and then reveling in that energy is mm. kind of what I've maybe done my whole life. And yeah. what I actually am really passionate about doing, yeah, you know, creating things that we can all feel a part of, even if that thing is completely immaterial. Yeah, I love it. Okay, and what advice would you give yourself ten or fifteen years ago? Oh, say ten years ago, since you're okay. Mm, there's so many things I wish I could have said, but. Like, probably my favorite sentence in the English language, which is kind of two strung together into one, but it's all going to be all right, I promise. Mm -hmm. I think that's what I wish I could have just said to myself. You know, I think because I, I'm so engaged with my full crazy head and my full crazy heart in everything that I do, you know, with every, like, setback and rejection and loss and seeming failure and whatever, you just feel like it's kind of going to be the end of the world. And it's really difficult to see that actually the universe has got your back and it's sending you where you need to be. And sometimes like those hurdles are really the things that are shimmying you in the direction that you need to go into. Mm -hmm. But just that feeling of it, it's all going to be fine. Like that whack of perspective. Like you have your health, you have your family, you have your friends. Everything that you need is literally within your being. And yes, it might need time to come to fruition or effect, but it's inside of you. And so if that one thing doesn't work out, if that one person lets you down, if that one opportunity doesn't materialize, it's all going to be fine. And I promise that reinsurance for yourself from yourself, I think. Yeah, I love that. Okay. And do you identify as a feminist? I think so. Yeah, I think so. I'm not, I'm, I've never been like too big on like terms one way or the other, because I think they can mean lots of different things to lots of different people. But, you know, I think I'm, depending on one's interpretation of feminism, I believe in the great, you know, magnificent power of women. I believe women are as equally 
um, capable uh, as men. I think that we're also wonderfully special and different from men. And I think that, you know, people are people and each person is totally unique and different from the next person. And gender is a part of our identity like any other detail might be, mm-hmm. you know, but it certainly is not one that in any way divides weak from strong because I'm eternally amazed by the strength of the women in my life. Mm. Okay. And last question, Samantha, what are you reading right now? What's on your nightstand? Oh, um, actually I'm reading <laughs> this play called people, places and things, which I saw in London a couple years ago. Um, and I loved it. It was honestly the most powerful piece of theater I've probably ever seen in my entire life. It's mm-hmm. by um, Duncan McMillan um, and Denise Gal, who inaugurated the role. Like, I mean, she's just honestly, it's the most exceptional female performance on stage I've ever seen. And I don't know what made me want to reread it. Sometimes if I see a play that I really, really love, I, I kind of like to go and read the play because when you're watching it, you're sort of caught up, up in the experience. And then, mm. I don't know, maybe because I'm an actor or I love theater or I love the way that people's minds work, it's kind of nice to then go back and look at what was exactly said and how it was strung together and what the mechanics are of it and how it looks on the page. And it's just, um, I don't know, it's pretty extraordinary, cool. actually. Awesome. Okay. And I h- highly recommend it. All right, we'll link to that, too, in the show notes. Um, Samantha, it's been such a pleasure talking to you today. Thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, thank you. The pleasure is all mine. It's really kind of you to have me. These have been very interesting questions. (laughs) That's it for our show today. Remember, if you need support to live your Well Woman life, head over to wellwomanlife.com slash Facebook to join us. Our monthly live event, Well Women Drinks, brings women together to share our successes and challenges as women, leaders, moms, aunts, sisters, and all the other roles we carry. If you'd like to attend a Well Woman Drinks near you, or if there isn't one in your city yet and you'd like to start one, email info at wellwomanlife.com. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment and subscribe in iTunes and leave a review. This helps raise visibility, which is super helpful when it comes to producing the show every week. For feedback, comments, or just to let me know you were listening today, find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Well Woman Life. I'm Giovanna Rossi for The Well Woman Show. Until next time, have a super powerful week. Mm-hmm.